0: episode 219, how to deliver population health in the real world and get paid for it. Today, I speak with Dr. Ashad Rahim.
1: American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know talking. Relentlessly seeking value.
0: Population health is a great idea, but success depends less on great ideas and more on great implementation. Today, I speak with Ashad Rahim, MD, MBA, FACP. Dr. Rahim is Senior Medical Director of Population Health at Mount Sinai and a wealth of information on what it takes to successfully implement a population health initiative and manage to get paid for it, IRL, in real life. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Dr. Ashad Rahim, as the Senior Medical Director of Population Health at Mount Sinai, focused on driving the value equation with the 3,000 physicians in your network, what have you learned or do you believe is the most important aspect of population health that you really have to get right?
1: A very important question. I think, from my perspective, uh, what I've seen is that ideas matter, but it's much more about the execution, frankly. And that's where I think most pop health organizations falter, is, you know, I think, especially within academic medical centers, there can be a tendency for the perfect idea. And there really isn't a perfect idea, it, it's really about how it actually gets implemented. And the most successful organizations are really the excellent executors.
0: Did you see the documentary on the fire festival? Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that might be the perfect uh, example oh, of a great, point. A great idea yeah, with a yeah. terrible execution. It kind of sums up exactly what you're just saying, exactly what happens when you have a great idea and you execute yeah, very, execute very, very a, poorly. in <laughs> a,
1: a very poor level <laughs> and but, add about five berries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: exactly. But this is obviously easier said than done. So what's the first step in ensuring that your idea isn't going to fall flat because you don't put discipline around how you're going to execute it?
1: You know, the way I approach it is after you've defined the end goal, and then you've laid out some of your operational steps in pop health, because it is something transformative, you got to make sure that you got your A and B players pretty much at the front of driving this and, and obviously largely a, you know, my experience in transformative businesses is that sometimes You're trying to do too much with a C player that maybe worked in a different setting or with a different processes. But for your core processes, you got to make sure the people aspect is right. There is just an attitude to work and especially that can do figure it out attitude. The person that's truly willing to work, I would say probably two or three times harder because the general tenet is that anything transformative is probably going to be three times harder. And I even gave some advice to a candidate on that actually yesterday when I was performing an interview for one of our pop health managers. And I kind of, you know, see how much their eyes dilate. And if they don't dilate too much, then I know that they can handle it.
0: One of the things that you said very fast, but there's definitely some depth there, is that the first thing that you have to do is establish some parameters or or establish what the end game is. And to me, that means figuring out your metrics, which, of course... Is a lot easier said than done, especially in pop health when it's often been said that it's like Ogilvy, that quote, 50% of advertising works. You just don't know which 50%. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that could easily, easily be applied to pop health. So like in, yeah. in that kind of environment, how do you know what metrics to set out?
1: You know, you have some clear outcome metrics, you know, and I would probably look at it as you got to have some of what those big dots, stealing from a book and previous mentors, the the concept of big dots versus small dots. You got to have some of those big dots like Medicare spend per beneficiary, core acute admits per thousand you know, ED visits per thousand in those areas. And those will really will matter. And I would say some patient experience as well, because if you keep losing market share to some of your competitors due to patient experience issues, that's, you know, that that can impact you even from a pop health perspective. But then kind of going down to, you know, some process metrics in between, but really, I look at it as structure plus process equals outcome. And, you know, you got to kind of get your house right and not maybe overmeasure at first. Sometimes you can just keep caught measuring and then you're going to keep shifting your focus because the measurement can take you left or right. And, and frankly, you got to be smart with data too. It, it's got to be a true trend versus just a change from one period to the next. And then assigning a reason for that happening, which actually is purely just a guess and perhaps no better than flipping a coin. And you can make a complete opposite decision. So I would say, you know, staying consistent, having that operational discipline and executing on the core foundation. First, don't overmeasure, get it started, and then begin to refine. And you want to use some of those big dots, but also potentially some key process metrics as well. An example would be, let's say you're trying to drive Medicare spend per beneficiary, you probably have to subgroup your population, you find that let's say your congestive heart failure population is Is driving a a significant amount of cost or potentially excess utilization? And then, you know, what has been your enrollment into a, you know, a chronic disease management program for that cohort of CHF patients? And then you could look at the outcome of that. But simply, what number of those patients have actually been touched and evaluated and enrolled? would be something you can measure quite easily, and I think would be a very important kind of process metric.
0: So what I'm understanding is that maybe what you want to do as you're rolling a program out is kind of have different tiers of metrics, because obviously you can't even measure outcomes until pick a time period in the future. Yeah. If you set functional or activity-based metrics that you can gather immediately, then those are certainly leading indicators. Cause obviously if you don't have anybody enrolling in the program, the program is not going to produce results. Exactly. So first things first. Exactly.
1: And I really believe in that. I think that there are some ratios that matter. For example, with your care management staff, you know, what is their panel load? You know, they could be at, you could have an excellent program, but have a panel load of 15 members only, that's probably not going to be enough for a full-time, high-performing care manager, you know, you could pick your number, but let's say it's closer to 50. That's when the, you're even going to have a chance to drive your outcomes. Until you get there, you really need to focus on the operational excellence of how do you get to managing that 50.
0: One thing that somebody said, and it might have been you... <laughs> Necessarily want to attribute <laughs> a, a quote to you okay. that uh, so I have you have
1: plausible deniability. Yes, you here. do. You yeah. certainly do because
0: yeah. I, I do yeah. not recall, but I've heard it said that success is 80% people, 15% process, and 5% technology. Yeah,
1: I think I did say that.
0: <laughs> so, so, talk
1: about that for a second. I definitely want to reserve the right to change that proportion, but I do think that you can solve a lot. On the front end, really from your hiring process and from your onboarding process and then your management process of those individuals it does take leadership that really understands the end state. That could be a right limiting step for the individual that you may actually have the right individual hired. You may not have the right leader, though, using those a little bit interchangeably here, uh, although there, you know, there is a substantial difference. But I've just seen that be so key especially with pop health initiatives. And I guess I'm speaking to this, you know, which is probably obvious somewhat from a provider institution and trying to implement it is the clock is always on. You're still in this world of each leg is in a different canoe, potentially going somewhat in a different direction, whether, you know, it's fee for service or full risk or full capitation. Obviously, the latter being more the desire and where you're going to be financially successful as you were in in potentially old fee-for-service models, you need to be able to move fast. And, and the, the people part can really slow you up. You know, the processes, I, I think that you, you have to tailor them to your organization, but kind of the general processes, you know, through the brain trust and how many smart people have taken an interest in population health and have begun to work is that you can get that information pretty quickly and you can establish what that is. It's probably refining it and making sure it's working and the monitoring. And then, you know, technology, some of its optimization, some of its decision, make sure that you know exactly what you're purchasing and what is the, you know, how it really works versus having been on that side as well is that, you know, I'm sensitive to it. There's, of course, a sales pitch, and it's not necessarily always on the person selling you the technology, but on for you being the purchaser to really do your due diligence. And excellent due diligence in technology is still not as common as it should be from the purchaser. Yes,
0: yeah, certainly. And, and there's a number of people that are working on that exact conundrum, like the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, which is working hard to establish an evidence basis for technology solutions. I think the point that you made about the importance of leadership and being able to move really fast probably cannot be underestimated because people respond to what their leaders believe, maybe Mm -hmm. even more than what their leaders say, um, Mm -hmm. because actions speak far louder than words. So a lot of this could be very dependent on senior leadership and their commitment to a strategic plan, which includes a population health strategy. The elephant in the room here is, of course, payment. You could have the best population health management program in the world, but if you can't figure out how to get it paid for, then it's not going to be super sustainable. How do you consider that aspect of a pop health strategic plan?
1: There are going to be some quick win opportunities, whether they're quality programs that likely most organizations are already working on, that payers may pay for as part of essentially a kicker in a value-based contract. It's like their intermediate outcome or process measure that will help ensure the outcomes that they're looking for as well. There also are potentially products and services that you can package that sell to employers. And obviously, employers are looking to, one, increase their essentially employee attendance rates, their engagement rates with their employees, and obviously their health in that process, the employee health matters considerably. There's also uh, potentially benefits for them from an overall management of, of employee health costs as well over a period of time. I would say that it will be a challenge. You are making a bet on the reimbursement models, but the reimbursement models, to some degree, are they're all pointing in that direction, and they're moving and even with changes in our political landscape have continued to move down that that road to value and, and really to some degree a road to full risk and capitation. The money will be there. And there's also the fact that if, you know, what is your opportunity cost if you don't do this? And how do you want to position yourself in your marketplace? And usually what I have seen through... Some of my travels and 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 discussion with other colleagues is that if you're a provider, major provider organization, you know there's several of you in a given market. Who wants to be the pop health manager for that region? And usually, someone jumps out and makes themselves very clear. And if you see that as your strategy, and that can be, you know that. I think to most strategists would make sense that 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 would be a reasonable approach as opposed to perhaps being just a destination center for high end care or you know a specialty focused organization. If you're going to be in between that, then and perhaps closer to the pop health manager, then the benefits of this will come much later, but they will be substantial. And if you did make those investments earlier. You're going to have a very hard time reaping on the changes in reimbursement when the, the switch gets flipped. And usually it goes like from 40% to 100%. It's not necessarily always gradual. I think we're gradual now and on that initial curve of zero to 40. But eventually, I think it could flip much faster and you want to make sure you're ready if that's going to be your longer term strategy.
0: So I think you made a really fantastic point right there. So let me just make sure that I understand it. You basically said we're on an inexorable road to value right now, most likely toward full risk and and full capitation. So as a health provider organization, there's a choice to be made. It's kind of... An either or, like either you choose to go the population health management route, because sooner or later, your managed Medicaid plans, your Medicare Advantage plans, they're not going to want to have care delivered by organizations that are FFS. They're going to mm-hmm. want to go to a place that has these risk-based contracts and where social determinants of health are being taken into consideration because everybody's knows how important they are. So that basic care is going to be provided by provider organizations who have population health management proven capabilities. Or on the other side, you could be the best knee surgeon in town, you know, like go to a really specialized model or like oncology or something. So you're providing all the specialty care for that population. What you're saying, and um, this is kind of a question as well as a statement, because I think this is a super important point, and I want to make sure it's crystal clear. If you're in the middle somewhere, you're going to have a problem. Like you're not investing in pop health, and you're not necessarily the best of the best at whatever your specialty is. Like you're kind of lost in that messy middle. That could be a subpar strategy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you you know you hit the nail on the head. That is a little bit of no man's land right now. <laughs> I, I, I would say and. And I think that those organizations probably need to get clear sooner than later would be my advice. Because it also, you need to organize a delivery unit, your organization, your people on the ground, frontline delivering care. I'm still active in frontline internal medicine. Although it may not change necessarily, you know, you're still going to care for the patient in front of you the best you can. But the multidisciplinary approach Especially around a pop health, and when you're focused on not just the episode and when the patient's in front of you, but 24 seven, three sixty five, it takes a mind shift. And there's also a portion of mind share that would need to be worked on. And likewise, you know, in the other setting, which I, I'm not discounting, and I, and I understand folks that you know and how it's a very rational choice to just consistently focus on a fee for service model, even though I'm a huge pop health supporter and and someone who's philosophically, and now kind of dedicated my career at this point, I understand the other side of it too. And I and I do know organizations, very smart organizations, that will continue to execute and focus on a fee for service model and do that quite well. And we'll do that as of right now with not necessarily any end date, and we'll shift when they need to be. I see the smarts in, in that strategy as well. I think there's somewhat of a, just a philosophical belief of how you want healthcare delivered, and what you want to be a part of, that only, you know, the organization can, can kind of look in the mirror and decide.
0: I would assume that if you're thinking, you know, your strategic plan is the, I'm going to call it FFS to the bitter end approach, (laughs) (laughs) um, that you'd have to have a certain leverage in the marketplace in order to be able to pull that off. Or maybe it depends on what the payer mix is in that particular marketplace, which is going to determine whether that strategy or maybe how long that strategy is going to last.
1: I would agree with you that, yeah, if you don't have the positioning right now, then you need to invest to establish that positioning. You know, if you start to look at it less of a macro market, but more in kind of, you know, micro segments, there'll be micro segments based on geography, there'll be micro segments based on specialties, all that needs to be decided. And that's, you know, and that's essentially and if you keep coming up that, you know, we really can't compete there, you know, as well, or it's, you know, we're going to be one of many in, in terms of what's considered high end care perhaps that may give you your answer and lead you to a different direction. Or you don't have the internal assets to be the most super, super specialized in a certain area. And, you know, people are more mobile and they may travel a few states over for that. So that may also drive you to say, well, there may be something to a more population-based approach that would be potentially more financially successful for us in the long run. And then we just divert the highest, most super specialized care To that institution whether it's more local or a few states over.
0: Let's talk about an organization who might be on the end of the newbie side of the population health management curve where there has been identification that this is something that is an organizational imperative they'd like to move forward in a population health management direction. Obviously one of the first things that you're going to need to do is to negotiate with the insurance carriers in the area. So I'm going to ask you a question about that. Earlier, though, you mentioned one way to start working on that process is with, you, you called them quick win opportunities. So you mentioned there's quality programs that have a kicker. So you could just look for those and, and work with the carriers in the area on those kind of programs. You also had mentioned that you can package out products and services and sell them to employers who are actually oftentimes the for 56% of the country anyway, the payers. Um, So those are two ways to start. But beyond that, you sort of have to be able to negotiate with the insurance carriers who are in the area. We actually had a listener write a question about how exactly you go about doing that because generally speaking, insurance carriers in the area are not super into raising service rates given that what's your advice to an organization beyond maybe the quick wins you know like how do you negotiate uh-huh. a population uh-huh. health management contract that's going to enable the organization to be able to create that investment that's necessary in order to start
1: this may be surprisingly easier than we expected and i think that for folks on the provider side my sense and actually from an unnamed insurance executive got the this exact statement that If the insurance model didn't change from a kind of an authorization and denial engine to essentially a partner in care delivery, healthcare insurance could go the way of of blockbuster video and go from a tremendous amount of presence to very little presence in its current form. And that's been focused for several years. At least I, I had this conversation about five years ago. And you see it in their interest and willingness. If you come to the table... Whether it's in your renegotiation for a payer or just a you know a separate conversation about your desire to move into more of an effective Pop Health Manager and to have your contract incentivize and reward you for that with a given payer, you usually have a, a very willing and listening partner on the other side. The elements of that, though, I would say is that what I have heard is that there's kind of proof in the pudding there. You gotta really show that you're making the investments and establishing the programs. And those will come out, you know, through your joint operating committees. Those will either come out very clearly or you'll have an insurance provider and there are people who are more pop health just poking holes all the time or really realizing that you're, you're talking the talk but you're not walking the walk. But I think there is, um, you know, there's a lot of interest from the insurance community, from your local insurance providers to move into these models. So they're really looking to partner and I will say most of them don't have all the answers. They're figuring it out just as a majority of the provider side is as well. But ultimately, if you think of it, if, you know, a dollar saved in total healthcare spend for a given year uh, for a member with no degradation in quality or potentially an increase in quality, which we see as well, that dollar would be profit to the, not only the provider, but the insurance company as well. So the incentives are aligned in their right. and they're right. And I know some large... Payers are claim that they're, that they're currently above 50% of their covered lives nationally are in value-based contracts, and they plan to be upwards of 75 80% within the next 18 months. I think what they're all struggling with, though, is you can have a value-based contract with upside and some downside. The goal is to just kind of increase the level of risk over a period of time. In some ways, you also want to make sure that the rules don't change on you as you start to get better. And that's some of the concern with some of the large private payers that frankly, when I've talked to some colleagues, they're a little less concerned about that with the public payers. But regardless, you're going to, you're going to have to be successful with, with all types of payers.
0: And is this something that you wait until contract negotiation day to initiate or if someone's on the insurance carrier side or someone's on the provider side, you call up and have conversations regardless of what time of year it is to try to figure out how to partner kind of independent from contract negotiation talks?
1: It could occur in either setting. You're probably a lot of the contracts will still continue fee-for-service, and there'll be a value-based bonus portion of the contract with some level of risk. So there's going to be some discussion just on the fee-for-service rates as as there's downward pressure on those. I would say that I would have a separate conversation and even several separate conversations and meetings and then fold it into what the active negotiations need to be for that particular point in time.
0: Regarding population health, what do you think Is something that is very often believed to be true, but based on your experience, it's not.
1: Very interesting question. Probably two immediate things come to mind. One I alluded to earlier is, and I will say this, I don't believe that population health is intellectually that hard. I think it's, and I may offend a lot of people, so I apologize. Uh, I don't mean to say that people aren't smart, but I think this is. Fundamentally, just the way care should be delivered. And I think as you talk to physician colleagues, administrative colleagues, nurse colleagues, everyone under the healthcare delivery tent, it just makes sense. You know, the devil is in the details and in the process of execution and in the process of organizational support and in the process of getting an entire organization kind of pointed in one direction that has been pointed perhaps at least some degrees from what is true north population health. I think that is, you know, just brings back to the importance of execution. I would say the second aspect of this, I don't know if it's not true, but I just think it's underappreciated at the outset is the importance of financial integration. You often kind of bend towards clinical integration, but if you're still getting paid on a per-click basis, largely. And that's what folks have been used to the traditional RVU model. Essentially, if I do something differently, or I focus on potentially care for a group of patients with a different mindset, where's the financial gain for me? And you have to answer those questions. And there has to be tangible returns, or at least a plan for tangible returns to truly get financial integration. And that's a I would say at least 50% of the goal of clinical integration that that's thrown around pretty consistently. So those are kind of two areas that I, I think are maybe two, you know, dispelling kind of what I consider almost two myths that are not appreciated.
0: And I think both of those also solve for something that probably in the implementation phase, many have encountered, which is that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to get physicians, nurses, advanced practice clinicians on board with the shift to value-based care, especially when medical schools are teaching, here's the clinical risk factors and not teaching social risk uh-huh. factors, uh-huh. which are in many cases equally important. Making sure that incentives are aligned is, of course, super important. And then making sure that everybody understands and is on board with and thinking about what the end game is, I guess, is what you're, you're saying.
1: Yeah, at a core level, it wasn't part of the kind of the fundamental kind of medical training and education, whether that's for physicians, nurses, and perhaps, you know, maybe certain fields, definitely not for physicians. You know, with some of our nurse colleagues, it's inherently kind of the healing aspect is more emphasized and and perhaps more engaged with, you know, and then definitely with our administrative leaders and in their training whether classroom or workplace related, it was not as core. So it'll take a lot of these areas as well to kind of seep into the uh, training aspect.
0: And that goes back to the point that you also made earlier about the importance of leadership and how aligned leadership is with the mission here.
1: But I will just add, I think that the fundamental piece of like, if you really get down to it, no one disagrees with the change in care delivery and that just that making sense. You know, one thing that often comes up is, you know, what's the patient's responsibility? And I definitely agree with that. And obviously, you can't get a patient responsible immediately. You know, it's going to probably more of the onus will fall on the provider side and then you know with some of the most challenged patients that's going to come later the delivery models and and the changes are somewhat common sense and you know and you can talk about it feel good at board meetings feel good in executive meetings other smaller meetings but the devil's going to be in the details and the execution and it's going to be a grind and you got to be ready for that grind and excited for it and kind of keep the staff motivated towards doing that because it's going to feel like too much at some points, as you start to get in the middle of that grind.
0: The point that you made earlier about anything you do that's transformative is three times harder. That's certainly going to become apparent. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Kind of quick. So making sure that we're staffed and motivated is clearly a rate critical for success. Dr. Arshad Rahim, thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today.